<laughs> so good. And we are live with another episode of Lifestyle Medicine. So hello, everybody. How are you all doing? Hope you guys are prepped for the holidays. I've got my whiskey, whiskey in tow and am ready for the onslaught of excessively busy bullshit <laughs> and happy loving times with my family, of course. But in any case, the thing I wanted to talk about today is psychedelics. Specifically, if we're going to talk about psychedelics, I think the thing to always kind of keep in mind and a way to look at this is an idea that came right out of Chinese medicine. So outside of just general discourse about psychedelics and the benefits of them, there's a way that I think Chinese medicine frames and gives context to these types of substances that I think is really important because if we think of it like this, I think it gives us a buy-in factor as to why we should do it. And it also gives us a little more caution in how we interact with them. Not a caution from how they can you know, damage us or hurt us, but for us to be cautious in our dealings and to understand the reciprocal relationship that comes from psychedelic use. When we talk about this, this is the thing that I, I want to bring to the front lines. One of the coolest concepts about Chinese medicine that really hit home for me and that really changed the way I interface with herbs, and I would say all plant medicines of, of, of every kind, was this idea that we have to anthropomorphize herbs and psychedelic substances. And what that means is essentially thinking of them as personalities. We have to think of them as people in a, in a way. And while plants are not people, they're not human beings, we are different organisms, if we think of psychedelics like that, and we think of plant medicines, and we think of cannabis, and we think of ayahuasca, and we think of psilocybin, as we think of these as people or personalities, this gives us a framework for how we should approach these medicines. Because if we approach it like that, if we approach it from a place of, this is a personality that I'm hanging out with, we are less apt to go into the journey or into the, the, the psychedelic experience with these associations of taking something out of it. Ideally, if we are good-natured people and we're relatively balanced in our emotionality, when we hang out with someone and we socialize with someone, it's a reciprocal relationship. We bring something to the conversation, they listen, they respond, and give something back to us. And this is the way we want to think about psychedelics. And I would say also definitely true for plant medicines of any kind. If you think of this as a reciprocal relationship where you should bring something to the table also, and that something will be given back to you, this is a healthy way to look at it. This is a balanced way to look at it. And it gives you a context to have reverence for the psychedelic journey. Because all too often, I've heard this from many friends, some friends who I have sat with and been a sitter or been a guide more or less. And, I, and to be clear, you guys, I am not a shaman. I do not have a direct lineage or anything like that. Um, people have jokingly said that if they, if they hang out with me or they want me to sit, they're like, I want you to be the shaman. And I'm very clear, like, that's not what I do. And I'm just sitting. I'm a regular guy. I do have experience with this, but I am by no means an expert. I'm not a medical professional. I'm, I'm, that's not what I do. I can provide guidance if people want it sometimes. <laughs> and I'm not offering up services, you guys. I'm just saying the context uh, in my life, how this has gone. 
the point is, if we can go into it like that, we are less apt to have a bad trip because what it does is it puts us into the frame, the framework and the mindset that this is a personality we're discoursing with. And we don't want to insult the personality. We don't want to take excessively from this personality. We want to discourse with it. We want to have a conversation. And I feel like that attitude going into the psychedelic realm is really important because if you don't have that, if you go into it haphazardly, you go into it shitty, or you go into it with an attitude of, I just want to get fucked up, more or less. If, if we're operating from that place, this is where psychedelic journeys can be very destabilizing, and they can be pretty rough. And the reason for that is, at least according to the theory of Chinese medicine and these other uh, older world traditions, they're basically saying you are interfacing with a personality. Herbs are personalities. Plants are personalities. And what that really means is they have a specific behavior in nature. There's a specific function that they fulfill. There's a certain way that plants grow and what they do within an ecosystem, that matters. The behavior that they, that they uh, engage in, in the natural world, really matters. Because we see these the, the, the cleansing effects that an herb will have in an ecosystem when we put it into our body often will have a cleansing effect. We see this with mushrooms. Mushrooms, which essentially act like the immune system of an ecosystem, have very real immune-boosting properties inside of our body when we take them in. So this function that we see in the natural world, what they do, and then when they come into our body, there's a similar relationship. And this is, this is really paramount in my mind. And I think it's a good way for us to frame and understand and reorient our perspective when we engage in psychedelics. Now, people I know who I have sat with where, to the best of my abilities, made the ceremony or the space intentional, meaning let's talk about why you're doing this. Why are you coming into this? And what's the point of jumping into this journey? Are you just looking for a good time? Which isn't always necessarily bad as long as you're clear and intent and your intent is clear and clean about that. Is that what you're looking for? Is this strictly recreational? Are you processing something really dark? Are you struggling with some larger problem in your life? Like these things matter. They really do. And to orient your mind prior to going in is a good thing. And this also opens up the dialogue, which is something that is lost with plant medicines, is that we should have a reciprocal dialogue prior to going in. Whenever I sit with mushrooms, I always give gratitude to the mushrooms. The same way when I thank the food on my plate, I thank the cow that I'm eating or the farmers that brought my food to the table. Even if it's silent and only for three seconds to myself, I always say thank you. There's always a gratitude in there. And that's a good practice in life, I think, to put yourself into an attitude of gratitude. The the, the brain chemistry and the, the neurology and what happens biochemically in the body doesn't lie. It's really good to be grateful. But when you're going with the psychedelics, I think it's even more important <laughs> because once you enter in to the psychedelic realm and you now have one foot through the veil into that abstract world or sometimes both and you said, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have eaten as many mushrooms. When that happens, your mind doesn't think in a linear fashion anymore. Things do move in multiple directions. Time gets distorted. So it's very hard to reorient yourself and backpedal and say, hey, I wish I would have been a little more intentional before I started. It's like, you better set that tone before you enter. Really critically important. And I, I think that this idea 
of thinking of plants as personalities is a great way to do it. It, it puts you into the, the frame of mind that I'm going to interact with this thing and socialize with it and reciprocate energy back and forth because that is what it feels like to me. And that is the way it's sort of talked about in traditions like Chinese medicine. We are interfacing with personalities. And if you can embrace that and embody that, typically your journey is going to be more stable. Doesn't mean you won't have a rough time. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to process your shit. But it's a good attitude to have. And I think it's always better to play that route than to not. Now, there's a couple... There's a couple stories here that I think are really important. And one is this. It, it paints the picture of the behavior of a plant or, or a plant medicine. And I think it, it, it really does matter. So w- when I was in Chinese medicine school, there is a very prominent Chinese medicine practitioner by the name of Heiner Fruhoff who is a German scholar in Chinese medicine. He's a sinologist. He is able to read Chinese characters at the classical scholarly level. He's able to interpret classic texts. The man has done a ton of beautiful work for the field of Chinese medicine, and he is truly a genius in his own right within his own field. Now, when he came to Five Branches, the university I went to, my my four-year college graduate you know, school that I went to for Chinese medicine, Heiner Fruhoff would visit and he would lecture and he would come through. And one of the things he talked about was an herb called Futsa. So for everyone in the Chinese medicine field, we know what this is. This is an herb. It's, a, it's called aconite. It's a, it is a mushroom and it is considered slightly toxic. And it's cautioned for acupuncturists and for herbalists to be very careful with its use because it is a very hot herb and can produce a lot of heat symptoms in the body. People can get very red faces. They can get very flushed. Blood pressure can increase. They can have stomach upset. But at the same time, it's an incredibly powerful herb. And when used appropriately, it can be one of the showstoppers. It can be one of the herbs that really turns the, um, the tides in someone's favor. So... Heiner Fruhoff, if, if, I, if I'm saying this correctly, and I hope that I'm not butchering this, I believe his lineage translates as the fire purity school. And what that means is he uses Futsa quite a bit in his formulaic creations. So this very basically delicate herb that can be overly heat producing in people's bodies, and which is technically slightly toxic in people that most people are like touching it very delicately like a hot potato. He's like, hey, I use this all the time with one very specific caveat. And what he said was this, Futsa was grown. He told this story that was maybe five to 10 minutes long and it forever changed my understanding of how I approached herbs, how I understood plant medicines, and specifically my relationship to Futsa, which is this herb that I had been cautioned to be careful with, which I still think you should be. You still need to know what you're doing. But one of the things he said was this. He said, look, the reason that Futsa causes all these problems in people is because it's not grown according to its classical method. The people that are growing it are not taking into account how this particular substance behaves and its natural growth cycle. There's a very specific way that it likes to grow. And if you grow it this way, it doesn't create all of those toxic or harmful side effects. So immediately as he was saying this, I was like, you know, sitting up on the front of my seat, like, 
you know, putting my hands together and being like, please tell me this because I'm now you've got me. Now I'm interested. Now I'm, I'm hooked and I want to hear what you have to say. So what he said was this. He said, classically, Futsa is planted on winter solstice and harvested and plucked out of the ground at summer solstice. So what does this mean? Like, well, and, and immediately hands went up like, okay, great. What the hell does it have to do with the growth cycle? What does it have to do with people? And how does this translate? He said, I'll explain. If we look at basic yin-yang theory in, in relation to Chinese medicine, what they talk about is this. At winter solstice, okay, at the peak, when the, the longest day of the year, there is the most yin, okay, the most receptivity, the most slowness, the most introspection, the most cold, the most contraction at that time. Okay, winter solstice when there's the most yin. So in the yin-yang symbol, the black and white symbol that we see that looks like the two interlocking halves, the black side is the yin, okay, so the, the darkness. It's most strong at that date, winter solstice. Now, from that day forward, yang, okay, the fire, what we would call, you know, the, the, the elemental fire and the expansion and growth in nature, from that day forward, from winter solstice, yang is getting incrementally bigger each day. So more yang with each passing day until yang is half full at about springtime. And then at summer solstice, it's the opposite where we have peak yang. It's the longest day of the year. There is the most natural yang. There's the most maturation and expansion in nature. And then the second we get past summer solstice, each day incrementally yin that coldness is starting to grow and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then when yin gets to its halfway point we're looking at fall and then with each passing day until we get back to winter solstice when yin is at its fullest so what this really means is yin is at its most full at the winter solstice yang is at its most full at summer solstice and heiner fruhoff said this he said with futsa you plant futsa on winter solstice because when you plant it on that day, each day from that point forward, the plant is growing with a natural cycle. And that natural cycle is to grow yang. That's all the plant knows how to do when it's been planted on that day. So as you plant it, the yang each day is just do, 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 do. it's just ratcheting up. Boom, 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 boom. So Futsa, as the plant, as a personality, is learning from the larger rhythm around it. The plant, the inherent intelligence that's found in plants, that's found in the natural world, that's found in ecosystem, that is self-regulating, just like our bodies. The plant is interfacing with this larger natural rhythm, and that's the intelligence that the plant picks up. All it knows how to do is to grow healthy yang, natural yang. So what happens is, is as the futsa is in the ground, this aconite, it's growing. And each passing day, it's growing more yang. And it's understanding that it's supposed to just grow yang incrementally. And then as aconite, futsa, is in the ground, when it gets to this peak yang state on summer solstice, they pluck it out of the ground. And so now you have this aconite mushroom, this organism that all it knows how to do is to grow healthy yang. That's, it's been trained, essentially, by nature to grow yang. Now, is this esoteric a little bit some of you might be like well wait a minute like you're talking about plants storing information i got news for you that's what plants do the things that they, the things that they fulfill in an environment they pick up the natural constituent pieces essentially 
And then that's the behavior that elicits us in the body. So what he said was, if you give people futsa that has been grown like this, what it does is when they take it into their body, it shows the body how to naturally circulate yang without any excess or deficiency. It just brings the yang up to the appropriate levels and into the right locations because the plant has grown in accordance with nature. All it knows how to do is grow yang without becoming excessive or without becoming out of balance. And he said, the problem is you, what you see in the natural world and in farming practices now, these ideas don't have any place. And what it comes down to, to kind of circle back to my original idea, is it's disrespecting the inherent natural personality of the plant or of the substance. It's not taking into account that it likes to grow a certain way. There's no reverence. There's no, there's no reciprocity in terms of having mutual respect for the plant. Not taking into account how it likes to grow. And if you do that, you're going to get problems. Now you have an unruly personality because when it gets plucked out of the, ra- out of the ground, <laughs> in a nutshell, the plant's saying, fuck you. You didn't let me do what I want to do. You didn't let me grow with the natural cycle from which I'm, I hail from. So what happens is people grow it out of season. Sometimes at worst, people will plant in the summer and then, you know, grab it in the winter and all it's done has been growing yin when it's a naturally young substance. So this idea, he said, if you grow it out of this cycle, you have problems, period, end of story, which makes it harder to grow quality futsa, but it should be harder to grow. We should be, we should have sensitivity and timing to these things and grow things naturally so that the organism can do what it's naturally supposed to. So this idea, okay, Futsa, when he told me this story, I thought, God, that really changes everything about how I think about plants. And it really makes me want to approach plants and herbs reverently, study them, research them, which climates do they like? Where do they thrive? And understanding this really starts to paint the picture that it is a personality. It has a rhythm that it likes to grow in. And if we can do that, then we have a well-tempered, well-mannered substance. Now, the other piece of this is looking at ginseng. Okay, not a psychedelic medicine, nor is futsa. Ginseng, and I remember this learning this from Ron Teagarden. If you guys are not familiar with Ron Teagarden, check out his company, dragonherbs.com. I am not paid to say that. I just believe in the product, just like Paul Stamets and these other guys. It's an amazing line of herbs. But what one of the things that he talked about in his teaching was ginseng being grown for a minimum of nine years. The older the ginseng, the better. But nine years for a very specific reason, because the first three years of a ginseng's root, ginseng root's life, it grows all male plant hormones. The next following three years, years four, five, and six, it grows all female plant hormones. And then years seven, eight, and nine, it grows an equal balance of male and female hormones, essentially the balance of yin and yang. And then at the nine-year mark, when you pluck it out, while technically still a young, quote-unquote, ginseng, it has its full life cycle, three years of yang, three years of yin, and then three years of balanced yin and yang. And when you do that, that's quality ginseng. And the, the ginseng doesn't misbehave because ginseng is also a very strong adaptogenic herb. But in Chinese medicine, you, they say you have to be very careful with it too because it can produce heat signs. Now, if you get very young, immature, premature ginseng that has just grown for three years, all that plant has done is grown male plant hormones, which is basically just a bunch of yang. It's not balanced, which means when you take cheap ginseng, cheap young ginseng that hasn't been grown well, 
you're going to get heat signs. You might get an increase in blood pressure. You might get a red face. You might get an inflammatory process because that's an unruly young buck of a plant. Now, if you just get a, a you know a ginseng that's six years old, well, at least it has male and female, but it's going to be predominantly in the female state. So it's going to behave differently. That's not really the way ginseng likes to roll. It likes to roll through a nine-year cycle where it has a balance. It's gotten to go through the full spectrum, a yang cycle, a yin cycle, and then a nice balanced yin and yang cycle. So the, again, the point I'm trying to illustrate to you guys, okay, that I'm, I'm, I'm retelling these stories in, in, in different ways, is to say you have to pay attention to the way plants grow. This is true with food. This is true with any of these things, and it's especially true with psychedelics. And this really points to how we are approaching psychedelics now in the West. How are they being harvested? Where are they being pulled from? What's having to happen now to where millennials are just jumping into ayahuasca ceremonies, going through a few ceremonies, getting some insights, and then wanting to facilitate and become master shamans because they had a very powerful experience with the plant one time when they know nothing about the growing cycle. They know nothing about how it rolls. Now, I'm not saying this from a judgmental place. Okay, I'm going to be very upfront with you guys and say that I have sat in an ayahuasca ceremony and I have no real understanding of how that plant is grown. I have no real understanding of its full life cycle, the history, the mythology. I don't. And I still got tremendous value. So it's not to say that these plants cannot meet us and in the psychedelic space and in the psychedelic realm and give us medicine and help us. But I think in the end, I also went into that ceremony scared shitless. And I mean, I was visibly nervous. I never tremble. And my hands were a little shaky. My hands were cold. My feet were cold. I was constricted and tense about it because I thought, shit, I don't know what I'm going to see in here. But I think, I personally think these plants sense that beforehand. I think there's a living innate vibrational intelligence inside these plants. And even if it's dormant and it's not activated until we, you know, chew on it or drink it and ingest it and it comes back into a living system that it maybe activates, I think they pick up on this. I think that life in general, I think the the space around us, trees, mycelium and mushroom networks, birds, you know, the microbes in the air and in the soil, these everything is alive and it's a living network. And I think mind, consciousness interfaces with it. I don't think that's not an original idea either. That's not, you know, that's not me just speculating. Lots of traditions talk about this and science is starting to show us that, that the microbiome in our gut, the microbiome in the soil, it matters. The microbiome falls apart in the soil. This in turn affects our food and our digestion. So the whole point of this, okay, this like circular idea that I'm kind of coming back to is we've got to understand the personalities that we are dealing with. And at the very least, if we don't understand the personality of the plant, we need to go into it reverently. Now, I'm going to give a shout out to Alex Kugler, if you're listening. I love you, amigo. And Alex has a direct tie to um, a shamanic lineage, the Dagara medicine tradition, I believe. I hope I'm saying that right, Alex. If I'm not, you can correct me later. <laughs> but one of the things he he echoed that I had learned in Chinese medicine school, but we really talked about it at length, was he said, look, he said, before you imbibe cannabis, before you imbibe psychedelics, before you do any of that, you need to talk to that plant. Show some reverence and appreciation because for one, the chances of you having a better trip are improved, right? Like the chances go up that you're going to have a better time, a more reasonable time. And also, 
it shows mutual respect for this process. And I think that's really like a key thread to the psychedelic journey is having reverence. You've got to approach psychedelics with reverence. I have a friend of mine here in Sacramento who I'm not going to mention because I don't want to out him. But I sat with him in a psychedelic mushroom ceremony and we were very intentional about the process. We talked about uh, ancestry. We talked about, you know, um, being attentive, letting it just really opening the space. We even used, you know, the, the cleansing smoke, smudging with uh, Palo Santo and, and, and really to the best of my abilities, creating some sort of reverent container so that this process is approached with respect and not disrespect. And the journey was good. And when he came out of it, he felt like he was in a very good place and had some very real tools to work with. And then he ended up taking a second psychedelic journey with the same substance, with psilocybin mushrooms, and didn't have that reverent primer at the beginning, didn't have that intentional ceremony of sorts prior to it. And he said when he came out of that journey, what he had acquired in the first journey with me, he had lost. He didn't have it. He actually felt off his game, like something was actually lost. And when we talked about it, while there's never a hard and fast rule or fact around this stuff, what I basically said to him was I relayed these ideas. I said, look, it's you're interfacing with a personality. And if you go into this without any reverence and, you, and you're not intentional and serious about it to a degree, the chances of it of its effects are going to be diminished, right? The chances of you getting something really of quality is going to go down. And it was true for him. And, and he said, I think that's really it. I would like to redo this. And I would like to um, do this from a place of reverence. And I, and I said, that's a good idea because I think that's what the plant's like. And it gives us um, a framework and an attitude at the spirit and soul level of how to maybe conceptualize psychedelics, because if we can think of it as a reciprocal two-way street of give and take, not just take, not just go into the medicine ceremony with, I want something, I need something, fix me, but give something back. And I think that what I've found with the psychedelic journey is that the relationship with psychedelics is very much the relationship I have with art. And I think it's because art is abstract. It's nonlinear. And my mind naturally thinks more that way. I think it's the natural setting of an artist. I think that's how we kind of come in. Um, and what's happened in my psychedelic journeys and with art, Sherry Simons, who was one of my the best art sculpture teachers I had in Chico State, she's, we had this discussion, and I remember it so distinctly, where she said, well, you have to let art in. When you look at a piece of art, whether it's a sculpture, a painting, poetry, it doesn't really matter. Anything that's art, you have to look at it and you have to let it in. You've got to take a piece of it in and let it speak to you so that you can have a dialogue with it also. And that's the beautiful thing about art is that we can look at a piece of art and we're all going to feel something a little different. We might all see a painted apple, but we're all going to interpret it a little differently. It's all going to have a different subconscious response and we're all going to have a different emotional response. But we do have to give up a piece of ourselves to the art. We have to let it in. You can't just sit there and close yourself off. That's not how art works. And I would say the psychedelic journey has to be the same way. When we enter, you really want to be in a place where you are willing to give a piece of yourself. Because if you don't give a piece of yourself to the process and you don't open your heart up at the emotional and spirit level, if you don't get into that space and make yourself a little vulnerable, I mean, how much are we going to get out of the experience? I mean, think of it in terms of a romantic relationship. How much how much merit and worth and growth are we going to get if we don't really show up 
if we really don't give a piece of our heart, if we really don't become vulnerable and say, hey, here are my shortcomings and here's where I've really struggled and here's where I've screwed up in the past. If we can't be honest in our romantic relationships, in friendships, right? if you can't just admit that you're wrong and you're full of shit sometimes in friendships and that you're just, you know, placating and mentally masturbating yourself, if you can't admit those things, how much is the friendship going to grow? And I would say that this is very true with psychedelics. We have to, when we go into it, this is the relationship with art, like I just said, is that we have to give ourselves up to this process. We have to give something of ourselves, offer up our emotionality, offer up our vulnerability prior to going in. Before we put on those psychedelic goggles, I mean, set the stage, even if it's by yourself. And, and I I really, I mean, as a kid, you know, when I was 18, 19, and I tried, and I sat with mushrooms the first time, I mean, it was recreational, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it definitely was. It was a recreational experience, and I had a very good time. But looking back, I mean, I, I'm just, you know, older and a little wiser. Not wise, but wiser. And I thought, boy, I don't think I'll ever jump into mushrooms uh, recreationally. That's not really like, I spent all of, most of 2018 really in a very deep space with them. And I thought for, I'm forever changed from it. I, I don't want to go into it like that. That's, that's a medicine. And sometimes you laugh really hard on the medicine and that's great, but I don't want to go into it just haphazardly. I want to go into it attentively, reverently, and to the best of my abilities. So the thing I want to just leave you guys with is this basic idea. Consider that psychedelics and cannabis is a part of that. Ayahuasca, Iboga, any of these plant medicines, these, these traditional plant medicines that can open up the psychedelic portal and help us through looking at life and through our experience, through these abstract lenses, think of these things as personalities. And if you can do that, I think the attitude of spirit at the soul level is better. I think it, and I think it's also, um, I think it's holographic in the sense that if you do that, I think it also trains you to do that in other areas of life. You approach environments like that. What am I giving back to the environment? As my mom has always said, when you come into a house that you're visiting, leave it better than you found it. It's the same kind of thing. Give something back. And if you do that, we are at a fundamental level fulfilling natural yin-yang theory, right? Give and take. Gift and receive. And that is the key to longevity in life. If we can balance those energies, okay, of give and take, of fire and water, of activity and rest, that's the harmonious balance and that's what these systems are based on. That's what longevity, that's the key to longevity is having a mixture of both. This is why I will never leave whiskey or the things that are a little bit what I call, you know, the realm of excess. I like touching those things because they fully make me more sensitive to the soft, receptive, non-excessive things. So I hope this finds you guys well. If you guys have um, questions, always feel free to hit me up. I am not providing psychedelic services. I am not in the business of anything in that relative world, okay? I, but... I always want to make myself available to people just to bounce ideas off of because I think if we can talk about these things, be open, be receptive, I think life flows a little easier. And um, if you guys are wanting to work with me, okay, in the context of adaptogenic guidance, okay, which are plant personalities that I'm fully willing to guide people to, um, I work with people on sessions around this very thing where we talk about what are the stimulants you're taking into your body and what are some of the adaptogens that you can be taking in that will mitigate the stress of caffeine and stimulants and also replenish hormonal reserves. So these are the, 
these are the that's the wheelhouse that I'm willing to discourse um, with people around. But there are a number of adaptogenic plant personalities that I'm very fond of that I've seen tremendous result with my clients. People that are in peak performance fields, people that work really long hours, people that are athletes that are highly active, people that are just stressed from everyday jobs. Adaptogens and those plant personalities are the ones that I work with and that I'm happy to guide people to to make life a little better and a little more efficient. So as always, you guys, thank you for your time. If you need anything, if you want anything, if you've got questions, hit me up. I'm always available to you. Thanks a bunch.